0: Hello everybody, it's Ian Pengelly here. Before Robbie starts his talk, it would be good to pray for him. Father, thank you for what uh, Robbie is going to bring to us today. Pray that you will give him wisdom and an anointing in his words to bring something from your heart uh, to us today. So we, we pray blessing on you, Robbie, as you speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Ian. So yeah, church family, um, greetings and blessings to you wherever you are listening to this or watching this. I hope that wherever you are at this moment in time that you're doing well. It's obviously a strange time for all of us, but we were fortunate that thanks to tech technology we can still actually communicate the message of Jesus, which is fantastic. And I realise for a lot of us this is a just a really odd time, some of us might be listening to this, you might be isolating, or you might just be working from home for the foreseeable future, or you might be off school or work. Uh, and the way we continue to do church going forward might seem a bit different. But please remember that God is bigger than our current circumstances. And I'm actually confident that before we know it, we will continue to meet again as a whole church family at Resound. For those who aren't regulars at Resound, uh, my name is Robbie. I have the privilege, along with Ian. Of co-leading the music team and although I'm not speaking to you this morning or this afternoon this evening or whenever you listen to this face to face I'm still glad to be able to share the word of God with all of you so with all that's been going on in the last week you may be forgiven for forgetting what our current series is on and I have the privilege to continue this series that we're currently doing on the parables of Jesus so, for those of you who don't know, the dictionary definition of a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. The word in the original Greek was paravoli, where voli means throwing and para means alongside. So, literally, throwing alongside. And this means a comparison, an illustration, or an analogy. This type of teaching would have been super obvious to the Jews of Jesus' time, as rabbis used parables to teach about the Torah in the synagogues. And if we're honest, we often do the same even today. I can recall countless times on where those who have spoken resound use stories in their own lives to help illustrate a point from Scripture. And let's be honest, who doesn't love a good story? They say that using a story to illustrate your point helps the listener or the reader connect to the author or the speaker. It's also something to remember when life passes by. Before the Israelites entered the promised land and wrote down all that had happened, they used to tell everything orally. We know this is in Joshua 1, God tells Joshua, the book of the law should not depart from your mouth. Meaning, learn these stories and pass them on. All throughout human history, every culture has its stories, folk tales, myths and legends. We have stories and folk tales in the UK such as Robin Hood, or maybe even King Arthur. For me, personally, my favorite genre of book is historical fiction. That's where the setting is historical, but the main character is fictional. I just love zooming into a character's story in the backdrop of a historical setting. So it's no wonder that Jesus used this medium to teach the people. So we're going to look at the parable of the Pharisee in The Tax Collector in Luke 18, and I'm going to ask Ian
0: I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted.
1: Thank you, Ian. So let's break down this parable. There are two characters involved in this story, the Pharisee and the tax collector. So let's start with the Pharisee. So let's give ourselves a bit of context. For those who don't know, the Pharisees were part of the religious leaders in Jerusalem during Jesus' time, the other major group being the Sadducees. And these groups made up the Sanhedrin, which was the supreme council of Jewish leaders. The word Pharisee in Greek being Phariseos, which means set apart or separated. The Pharisees emerged around 150 BC when Judas Maccabeus through the lens Seleucid, that's one of the Greek kingdoms that emerged from Alexander the Great's death, Greeks out of Jerusalem and restored the temple, after Antiochus IV committed what's known as the abomination of desolation. This is where he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple, which was highly offensive to the Jews. Many people in Jerusalem, including the leaders, who later became the Sadducees, that's Hellenic Jews, had embraced Hellenic or Greek culture, moving away from the Jewish traditions of the past. The Pharisees were a group that resisted this Hellenic influence and often promoted Jewish traditions, particularly purification rites over the Hellenic elements. This is why they, in the Bible we often see them at odds with the Sadducees. However, a group that started with good and pure intentions and were seen initially as heroes to the common Jews had over the years become very self-centered and arrogant by Jesus' time. They often thought themselves as above others and were smug as they believed that they, they were keeping God's laws better than anyone else. They had fallen into the trap that their actions and good deeds set them up as the best of the best, and as a result, they looked on anyone who wasn't as good as they were. And this is reflected in the Pharisees' words in the passage. First, he thanks God that he isn't a tax collector or an extortioner, adulterer, or unjust. Already, he's thankful that he is, in his eyes, special or set apart. Now, on the face of it, you may think, yeah, that's good that he is isn't any of those things. However, it's almost as you can hear the smugness in his words. Like he's got a big smug smile on his face and he wants all of those around him to hear what he has to say so that they know how good he is. This is because the Pharisee would have been praying in the inner part of the temple where the other prominent Jews were present. He then qualifies this with why, in his eyes, he believes he deserves God's special attention He says, I have fasted twice a week, and I have given tithes of all that I get. He's using his actions to qualify his righteousness. It's all about what he can do for God, and not vice versa. In contrast, the tax collector is a very different story. So who are these tax collectors? So tax collectors, or publicans, as they were known in the Roman world, were charged with collecting the taxes from the population in Roman provinces. Now, I don't know about you, but the tax man isn't exactly my favorite person in the world, as I want to keep as much money that I earn from my pay packet each month, and I watch as it parts of it disappear. National insurance here, tax there, company car tax over here. However, having said that, I'm, I never used to understand why tax collectors were roped in with other sinners in the New Testament. I mean, think about our use of taxes. They pay for schools, the NHS, services, and so on. You may not necessarily agree with how it's been run today, depending on your political persuasion, but that aside, generally taxes are supposed to provide the population with benefits. So why were the tax collectors of Jesus' time so hated? And why in this parable does the Pharisee make special note to thank God that he isn't one of them? Well there are two reasons. The first is they represented the presence of Rome. Rome was a foreign power that had entrenched itself in Judea and the wider regions of Samaria and Galilee. The official name of the Roman province was called Judea and encompassed these regions along with the region of Idumea to the south. The Jews themselves wanted to be free to rule themselves. This had not occurred since before the Babylonian exile in 587 BC. After the exiles had returned in 538 BC, they had to contend with being ruled from afar by the Persians and in a power struggle between the Hellenic kingdoms of the Seleucid Empire which ruled from Syria, and Ptolemaic Egypt, which was the Hellenic Egyptian kingdom founded by Alexander the Great's general Ptolemy and was the last Egyptian kingdom before Roman domination after the deaths of Antony and Cleopatra. For a while, there was a brief period of independence for about 100 years after Judas Maccabees' success before Rome was then another occupying power. So that's the first reason. The second reason was although the tax rate was often set Tax collectors had the power to raise this as they saw fit. This often led to extortion, with tax collectors taking extra money from the population. But instead of declaring this to the state, they kept this for themselves. This meant that tax collectors were often very wealthy at others' expense. They were seen as extortioners, liars, and cheaters. So it's pretty easy to see why they were so unliked. And in this parable, the tax collector has the opposite reaction to the Pharisee. For starters, he is looking down, he's dejected, and he's somber. Also notice how it says that he was standing far off. He didn't feel worthy to go to the inner parts of the temple like the Pharisee. He was probably standing in the outer courts by himself so that no one could hear him praying. He simply prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His prayer is a lot shorter and is likely repeated over and over as he continually beats his chest repeatedly in this case being a sign of his self-loathing because he knows what he was. He knew that what he'd done, and he carried that guilt. A stark contrast to the Pharisee who acted all self-righteous. So now I've talked about those two characters in this story, but the other important characters are those who are listening to Jesus say this parable. When these people would have heard this, I imagine that many of them were thinking something along the lines of, good on the Pharisee for doing the right things in the eyes of God. And also maybe the tax collector can pray all he likes. He, do, he doesn't deserve God's mercy as he is the lowest of society. Paraphrasing, of course, but you get the idea. We know this is likely their mindset because the text we've just read starts off with these words. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus knew how to pick the right parables for his audience. It's likely that those who heard this saw themselves reflected in the example of the Pharisee, the further likelihood being that most of them actually were Pharisees, and they saw everything they opposed and despised in the tax collector. But imagine when they were shocked when Jesus ends the parable with the following, I tell you, this man went to his house justified, that being the tax collector, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, wow. Can you imagine being there to see their reaction? It's like a story with a big twist. Once, one second you think you know where it's going and then like bang and the ending just comes out of nowhere and hits you hard, catches you off guard. And the key message I get from this parable is this, that humility is at the core of God's heart. So what is humility? The dictionary definition says humility is the quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. A phrase we use a lot in church is, he must increase and I must decrease. In other words, God should have a higher value in my life than I place in the value of my own life. Humility is something that's in short supply these days. We can often think we live in a world where it's every person for themselves. I think going into any supermarket at the moment will validate this statement. It seems at the moment that many people are grabbing items off the shelves without fault for other people who may need those things. I mean, who knew that we would all be fighting over toilet roll? If only more humility was shown, then maybe the panic buying wouldn't be so desperate. So the natural solution to this as church is to try and show humility to those around us. So how have we been doing that as, as Resound? Food bank? Youth groups? Parent buddies? Soup run? Visits to Lay Hill, Sunday Services, Fun Day Sunday, and even Matende as well. And I can leave it at that. I could say that we as Resound are doing good and no change is necessary. And don't get me wrong, all of those things I've listed are great and important to the work we do as church as we navigate the season. I pray that we will find ways to continue these ministries. In fact, it's one of the reasons I love this church so much, that it acts in the presence of a broken world. That's when we begin to attract people to us. When it's not just a collection of individuals, but about a community who love and care for each other as well as others. It's attractive to the rider world. But the reason I don't want to leave it there is because this passage isn't just saying be nice to tax collectors, those who the rest of society rejects. I feel sorry for them and go and give them a pat on the back. This passage goes to the very core of our beings and addresses the root of our humility. Deep down inside of us, are we more likely to react like the Pharisee or the tax collector? Do we come to God with fancy words and a nice, neat CV of things we have done this week for the kingdom? Or do we say a simple prayer acknowledging that God is great and we are nothing? If this is at the core of your being, rooted deep in your heart, and I think that the doing part, that is the showing humility at work to colleagues at home with friends and family, When you're out of the shops with strangers, not just panic buying, or if you interact with others on social media, all of those instances where you practice humility will grow out of a core foundation you have in your heart. And Jesus applied this principle to many things. You'd only have to look at the Sermon on the Mount to see how Jesus often challenges Jewish custom and takes it to the next level. So some examples of that being, it's not just about murdering or lusting or showing retaliation, that being the outward action. Instead, it's don't even let these things into your heart to begin with. Don't let them take a deep root in your being because all the wrong things will grow out of it otherwise. So now we've looked at the passage, I think there are probably three types of responses to it. The first is you identify with the Pharisee. Maybe you're hearing this message and you think, yes, often I'm too quick to play the self-righteous card with God. You want to tick those boxes of reading your Bible, praying, Coming to church each week, going to a D group so you can say to God that you've done all of those things and therefore should be set apart. I'm here to tell you that God is more interested in what's in your heart than your checklist. It's a trap we can fall into as Christians. I know I did it in my early 20s. It became a lot more about religious observance rather than true relationship with God. How many times I prayed, if I went to church or not, what theology I believed. In reality, I was quite dead inside. But know this, God doesn't love you any less. He wants you to see that you need to rely less on yourself and more on Christ. Nevertheless, he wants you to draw close to him. At no point did Jesus want to shun the Pharisees. no point did he want to run them out of town. He wanted them to see where they'd gone wrong in their over-reliance on themselves and their works and turn back to him. I can imagine that Jesus was overjoyed when some of the Pharisees, such as Nicodemus, came to him for guidance. God wants us all to come to him. So put down that checklist and just come to God. He is here for you. He can allow that humility to take a deep root in your heart. Or maybe you identify with the tax collector. You've made mistakes in your life and all you can think to say is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Maybe your sin and the weight of it seems like it's too much for you. You felt like you're not good enough for God and that maybe you're too far gone for God to help you. What I want to say to you is that God's grace is sufficient for you. And no matter what you've done, if you turn to him, he will come running to you. In Matthew 9:12, when asked about why he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. If you feel sick with sin, Jesus is here to help you. Jesus will help you turn that self-loathing into assurance in him so that you can live the life he's always wanted for you. And at the same time, he can also plant those seeds of humility in your heart as well. And the third and final group is my favorite one. And it applies to those who have allowed humility to take a deep root in their heart. That's not to say you don't do things for the community as a Pharisee would. Or know that all you need is Jesus, like the tax collector. But as you continue to practice this humility, it has taken a deep root in your heart and your life. And all I can say is, go and show it to this broken and hurting world. Because they need to see it now more than ever. Go and check up on people, especially if they're on their own. Don't contribute to the emptying of supermarket shelves because everyone else is doing it. Talk to each other on the phone or video call or even visit each other if possible. Continue to support each other in your small groups. Show love and support to work colleagues, neighbours, etc. who are struggling in this time. And continue to pray that the world will be delivered from its current trial. Then you will be set apart and provide a fresh fragrance to those around you that don't know Jesus. And I pray that you will continue to cultivate a deep sense of that humility in your life as you walk with God. And if that sounds good to you, then all it takes is practice and asking God to help embed it into your life. So as I draw to a close, my question is this. Who do you identify with the most? And finally, will you humble yourself or be humble? Thank you.